And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here in the studio doing things just slightly a little bit different today. We are using StreamYard as opposed to our usual uh, technology, basically just to kind of make it easier. Uh, if you are watching live, and I do see Steve in the chat over on uh, YouTube, the comments are active over on Facebook as well. Or you can leave a comment if you're not live uh, afterwards or send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And we have uh, someone who is familiar to some of you. Basically, if you've been paying attention to the live chats, you've seen his comments. So I thought uh, we bring him in. Sci-Fi Snob is our guest today. Welcome, sir. Good afternoon. Hello, Jason. Good to be here. Um, just before we get started, can we just wait a second here, or just just have to check something? Sure. Okay. Can you still hear me? I can. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't erased out of existence. Um, <laughs> you know those uh, those protect the timeline do-gooders sometimes oh, you know are poking around trying to find people like me. So just wanted to make sure that. Uh, they haven't found me yet. So if I leave quickly during the stream, it'll be because either I've been erased from existence or uh, <laughs> maybe the internet just dropped, but either right. So, uh, so over, over the past few months, especially you've been fairly active in our live chats and we do appreciate your uh, contributions to the conversation over there, but I thought I would uh, bring you on because you have a YouTube channel of your own. And you do a number of reviews, and I was uh, I was watching your predictions for the future uh, video this morning. I the the visitor from the future bit I think is is rather an interesting way to present the information that you have access to. So, um, yeah, uh, what do you mean by bit? I'm sure, I understand. <laughs> right. So how did how did the YouTube channel get started? Well, well um, the decision, the decision-making process, and saying, "Okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do this." Well, I, um, you know, I graduated with a, uh, a degree in ancient, ancient, ancient literature, um, specifically science fiction, seventies and eighties, nineteen seventies and eighties. So, you know, I was, I was kind of bored, and we don't really have, no one really has any jobs, right? Because, you know. AI and robots make everything. So everybody pretty much is on, um, well, it's called, you know, triple X tube. So, you know, we've, you know, they have YouTube and then there's a, I mean, of course you don't know that, but you know, we have YouTube and then we're going to have, you know, V tube and X tube and Y tube and Z tube. And then they're going to go on to the AA tube and B. So, you know, it's a bit of a further on version. But, you know, I started with about, you know, small channel of about 4 billion um, subscribers myself. And uh, I just thought it's the only thing I really knew how to do. So I thought I'd do the same thing when I came back here. So, And, and what, what drove you to come back here of all places and times? Well, you know, it's kind of, well, it's mainly because um, my, my, you know, degree is in this area, right? I, uh, you know. I kind of sh overshot shot off a little bit 
came in a little bit early. Uh, so, you know, things are not, when you time travel that far, you know, you can't get that precise, right? So you have to, you know, you're a little bit off sometimes, but this is the area that I was an expert in, you know, our, my knowledge was in. So that's where I thought I'd come by. So. Right. And, and how does it, how does it compare to the actual, you know, what your expectations were versus uh, what you're actually, this is the area that I was an expert uh, in, in, you know, encountering. Our, my knowledge was in. So that's well, it's, um, it's quite, it's a little bit different. You know, records are very, uh, records are very spotty. You know, we have an idea, but, you know, getting in there and uh, actually experiencing it is, of course, very different, right? Uh, especially interesting is your politics and that kind of thing, because, you know, basically artificial intelligence run everything. We just sort of sit back and, you know, they make all the decisions because they're way smarter than we are. So, uh, you know, we don't really have this sort of back and forth. So I'm very interested in your politics and following uh, following them, so... I find that interesting, but how much, how much of an intersection in, because this is something that has come up in conversation on a number of occasions with different people, the intersection of politics and fiction and this idea of whether or not uh, the literary stuff uh, should be message fiction or if it should be subtextual or and and through through the different reviews that you've done uh, have you have you come to a position one way or the other what works best when you're trying to tell a story that's got a message in it is that is is that anything that you've given a whole lot of thought to just in in a general sense of your expectations as a reader and and a and a critic of science fiction. Yeah, well, um, this is something that you know you've mentioned up in some of your shows, and I've kind of commented in the chat on occasion. Um, you know, my feeling is that I mean, the seventies and eighties, sixties science fiction was very much. Um, I hesitate to use the word message fiction, and this is purely my view. Um, you know, it's it. It had the idea of talking about or bringing forth some social problem or, or situation and looking at it from a different angle or, um, you know, expanding it somehow. Um, I, I can't think of a book-related one, but a classic one would be, uh, you know, Star Trek. I know you know Star Trek Next Generation very well. Right. Um, the, the one where... Uh, and I think you've talked about it before. The one where Riker goes down to the planet, and there's they're all of the same gender, and this uh, one of the characters presents as a different gender, and so there's a whole issue with that. And then that's a very good way of looking at that whole issue and, and, and flipping it back. So um, I've said before, it's a, there's a big difference between the sort of the 2010, 2020, the the present you know, message fiction, which is like a hammer where they hit you over the head. This is good and this is bad versus something from the 90s or 80s or 70s, which is much more subtle. And it sort of presents both sides and allows you to come, you know, to your own conclusion. And, you know, maybe it moves you that way or not, but it's not this big hammer that hits you. Do you have a favorite out of out of what you've sampled so far in terms of the different time periods, you know, 60s, 70s, 90s, modern days, or anything that just really sticks out and says, this is the best thing that, that I've read, I've watched? 
Well, um, I would say that, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many good uh, science fiction, but I think that, I mean, this is, and this is the reason you're talking about my channel. This is the reason I started my channel is I, I found that, um, you know, in the nineties and later I became, you know, less interested in the science fiction writing that was coming out. It didn't seem as good as, you know, the big names from the, the sixties, seventies, you know, the Heinleins, the, the Brins, the Asimovs, all those, you know, I'm the Herberts, I'm, I'm skipping a lot, but all those big names, it just seemed to become more watered down and not as, you know, it wasn't grabbing you as much, as, grabbing me as much anyway. So I started the channel to try to bring uh, some of those older guys uh, to, I th I would think, a younger audience, you know, the 20-somethings who may not have been exposed to them while they were growing up. Um, I mean, this is just my view. I, I'd be curious to talk about this with other people if this is true, because I don't know the 2000s, uh, science fiction writers very well because none of them seem to really grab me. Um, you know, perhaps I'm wrong there. Maybe there are some really good authors, but are they as good as, you know, David Brin and all those other guys? I don't know. It seemed to me you mentioned, it's funny you should mention David Brin because in, you know, in, in the conversation about the the creator versus the created work and uh, all of the all of the back and forth about uh, politics these days. David Brin has kind of gone f fairly extreme in some of his uh, postings on social media, and it's it's one of those things where you even you go through a lot of different authors. Uh, who are on one side of the aisle or the other. And the question becomes, how much can you separate who they are on social media, who they are in real life, who they are as a person versus who they are as the creator of the work and, and evaluating the work by itself? Does that make it a challenge to do some of these reviews that you do when you're looking at this and say, oh, this is David Brin. He's over here politically and oh this is larry korea and he's over here politically and this is you know orson scott card or anything like that yeah um the i always try to separate because um you know most most creative types are more towards the left wing so if you're not left wing then you're going to be very diff if you're moderate or or right wing you're not you're going to be very difficult for you to you know you'll have trouble finding anything to like if you say i'm not going to you know like anything by someone on the left wing you know, it'll be very difficult to you know find something to watch anything or, or read anything so i try to separate that um i have to admit it's a lot harder nowadays in this social media environment where everyone's on twitter and spouting off about stuff all the time you it's in your face more i mean in the 70s and 80s you wouldn't you wouldn't know the political uh, it's affiliations of the writer and no one would care um yeah. so it's much more in your face now and i think that in general our uh, the the polit politics in the us especially is a little more polarizing than it was in say like the 70s or 60s it was a little more live and let live and now it's very much you know on both sides of the aisle it's very much uh, not so much like that do you see that pendulum swinging back at any point or or have we gone past the point of no return where it's us versus them i mean the the polarization of 
the culture in the U.S. And I don't know how this is so much because we've seen, you know, with Brexit and and now we've got uh, a lot of um, discontent, shall we say, with with Trudeau up in Canada. Are we at the point where the culture splits are too much for reconciliation do you think or or can is there is there a possibility we we can still write the ship in your in your opinion well i mean i mean that's a good question that's a very political question um you know it gets to the point where do people want to write the ship right if you think that if you're on either any side of the aisle whether left or right and you think that as it seems to me that you know, both sides think that the other side is extremely wrong. Um, you know, is it worth it for those people to right the ship? Most of them are like saying, you know, on either side, this is very, very wrong. It's against our moral principles. You know, we have to do something about it. Um, you know, the question about the pendulum is, you know, how far does it swing one way or the other um, before it starts going back? You know, it can go all the way. If it goes very far to one side, you're going to see violence. If it only goes partway to one side before it starts swinging back, um, then you can avoid that. So the question is, how far is it going to swing in that direction before it starts back towards the middle? And that'll tell you whether, um, you know, what happens. Uh, Robert in the chat says, the Western world is heading down the road. South Africa and Detroit have gone on. But he's also asking, have you read the ancient texts of Mork and Mindy? So the ancient... a little bit of a, a little bit of a swing there. Uh, yeah, the um, read the ancient text. Um, I I've I've seen the ancient texts. Um, I understand that was a visual. It was presented in a visual medium, yeah, and I have seen the historical uh, records. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that historical record. Yes, <laughs> I remember watching that uh, some time ago. It's been a while since I have watched uh, it, but uh, yes, they're very um, they're very interesting. Uh, there's an interesting story about. Uh, Mork's race, but uh, I really shouldn't give away too much uh, what happens in the future. So, so what in your view, as a as a fan of of science fiction and of the whole the the science you know sci fi snob as as an as a persona here, you're it, there's an implication of a certain attitude when it comes to viewing science fiction so let me ask you this what makes good science fiction for you if you're if you're looking at it from from your perspective what makes what makes science fiction or fantasy or horror what makes it a good story well i, I mean yeah it's a good question uh, i would say that um you know to me it, it's it has to challenge you a little and uh, you know expand your horizons a little bit i mean it needs to be entertaining you can you know we can read for various different um, reasons you know for entertainment but i like my science fiction with a little bit of you know that bit of an expansion where it challenges me some aspect of it that is um, interesting or different that I've maybe not seen before. And it can expand my, you know, thought of how the universe works. And I think that, you know, in the, my favorite areas, er, eras of science fiction, which would be like the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, some of the 90s a bit. Um, I think that, you know, good science fiction sort of follows that they have interesting concepts. Um, you know, you, if you look on my channel, there's a lot of, you know, some of the things that I've done, um, reviews on are some of my favorite authors. And I think that most of them have that, those 
kind of those type of aspects to them. Um, so, you know, some of the, I have a problem with some of the, and this is where, you know, get into the snobby thing. Um, I have problem with some of the present science fiction. They all seem to be, if you go to your bookstore, and I remember this over the last 20 plus years, you slowly see the science fiction center, uh, the science fiction area being creeped in by a lot of Star Wars books and, um, you know, Star Trek books and Halo Ooh, books and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Franchises. So before, I mean, you know, we understand why that happens. It happens in the movies as well. It's this sort of sequelitis, you know, I'm going to do something, you know, this has got a fan base already. So why am, why would I, you know, take a risk on this author when I can put out another Star Wars book and that'll sell for sure. But uh, I think that's kind of bad for science fiction. And, you know, you kind of get these cook, cookie cutter type uh, stories as opposed to, you know, something imaginative by uh, a newer author. And is there, you, you talk about the, the 60s and 70s. I mean, the, the Star Trek books have been around for, well, since the 70s. And of course, the Star Wars books, you've got the, the original uh, expanded universe now called the Legends. And then the current, the current stuff. Um, what would you like to see on those shelves instead? Is there, are there particular authors that you'd like to, you'd like to see more of their work? Do you think, are, is that the bookstores po possibly not giving enough space to non-franchise stuff or is it just, it doesn't sell? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's a combination of, various factors. And I don't know that it's uh, like that question is really that important right now because you can get anything online, yeah. you know, print on demand. You know, I don't know how much, how, you know, big box bookstores, how long they're going to survive. You'll probably always have a small niche ones. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I think the question is kind of, you know, I'm, I'm sure they make those decisions all the time based on financial matters. But um, and let me go back and say, I'm not against the Star Wars or the Star Trek books. I mean, people should read what they enjoy. Um, but I just would, you know, I think we need to expand our, our, when we're into science fiction, we want to expand our horizons and look at, you know, new authors and new things. And I'm, I'm trying to do that myself. No. Um, you know, I read the, you know, the Timothy Zahn, the Thrawn trilogy. I really enjoyed that. I read it when it first came out. Uh, I remember it, you know, now, reading the, the first one. The, the second original, one. the Heir to the Empire trilogy or the, yes. current, the current iteration? No, the original three. I guess there's a five, there's five books for Thrawn and there was the original Heir to the Empire, the three, which they normally call the Thrawn trilogy. And then there's two other books. And yeah. other than those, I don't think I've read any of the Star Wars, um, you know, the modern, legacy stuff, but I remember, you know, seeing them, you know, the, the Jedi twins and all these other different things. And that's, it's great that, you know, people do that and people enjoy it and people should read what they enjoy. But, um, you know, there is a whole world of even more imaginative science fiction that, um, that if you're a fan of science fiction, you know, I want to expose you to, if you haven't been exposed to, and that's what I'm trying to do. So what kind of titles would you recommend? I'm looking at your at your uh, your reviews. I see Philip Jose Farmer. I see Dune. I see Riverworld. What if, if somebody is sitting there going, well, all I've read is Harry Potter or Star Wars. What what 
are your top five must reads in terms of classic science fiction? Yeah, I've got I certainly got mine, but yeah, I've got a lot. I'm I pairing it down to five is very difficult. Well, we can start. Um, I mean, I think I actually have a list, my snob list, but uh, mm. I, I've I lost it. I have to find it again. Uh, what you have to read to be a snob, but uh, you know all those, all the classics. You know the Asimov, Heinlein. Uh, you know all those authors. I would have to, I would have to ask the person and ask them. You know what kind of books do you like to find out a little bit, a little bit more about what they, uh, what they like before giving them? Because you could give them something and they could, you know, like if you say Farmer, for example, who's one of my favorite authors. I mean, someone would read that and go, "This is just weird stuff." Yeah. Uh, you know, some of Heinlein's, um, you know, later stuff where he gets more sexual, you might, you know, you might look at, read that and go, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear his crazy uh, ideas about that. But, um, you know, some of the more imaginative ones, I would say, would be something like Farmer. Of course, Dune is a classic. Um, you know, some of the uh, David Brin's stuff, uh, the Uplift Universe stuff is quite, you know, a little bit different. And it's interesting to see um, some of those science fiction ideas leak into other areas. And I'll give you one example, the idea of uplift. I think that originated with him. And then you'll start to see it and you can play various video games and you'll see, you know, you're running a star empire and you say, I'd like to uplift this species or something like that. So you can, you know, do the things that people like him um, came up with. Right. And speaking of David Brin, I'm going to put in our chat right there a link to our interview uh, with David from WorldCon 74 back in when was this? When 20 was this 2016? We were at WorldCon. Yes, 2016. All right, Mrs. Boss. I haven't seen that one. I have to. I'll have to check that out. Uh-oh. Uh oh. YouTube did not let me post that link. Uh, not YouTube. Uh, Facebook. Facebook didn't let me post the link. So if you're watching on YouTube, the link is in the chat. Uh, if you're on if you're on Facebook, for some reason it didn't. No, it did. That was weird. Huh. Very strange. Technology. Gotta love it, right? Yeah. Uh, well, well I wouldn't really call this technology. I would, you yeah. know, this is more like the dark ages, but uh, you guys are basically hitting rocks and sticks together but uh yeah. well and i saw an announcement today uh from chris kennedy he and david weber have the second book in uh the vampires versus aliens uh novels that he started david david started with uh out of the dark and now into the light apparently is a thing and that's a that's a fairly interesting modern read uh you know because david has been around for a while, but he's not a classic author like Heinlein or Asimov. But I would I would think that he's among the the current crop of authors. He's a very good one. Um, yeah, he's. I've like read him. a bunch of his stuff, but uh, you know, from ba far back, I haven't kept up with him. He's um, he's doing vampires versus aliens because that's kind of off of what he kind of does from the past. He does more military science fiction, if you know, correct yeah, me if I'm was, wrong. But it uh, was such a departure. And I was reading, I was like, wait, I don't, I don't know about this because the vampires. Are they sparkly vampires? Or, no, they're not sparkly. And oh. actually when, when I first got the book and we were looking at it, there was not really much of an indication that there were vampires. It was just alien invasion of earth. And 
about, I want to say about a third or a halfway through is when things start to kind of go a little bit sideways and you're thinking, wait a minute, what, what is this? And then suddenly it's like, oh, there's vampires and they're fighting the aliens and it just, it completely goes in places you don't expect, but it's, it's a, it's the a dust till dawn story. It's yeah, it's good. It's, it's a good book. Uh, I really enjoyed it and I was looking forward to the, to the new one. And finally, two years later, it's out. So well, uh, he's a good author. And I mean, I like authors that challenge themselves and do something different every once in a while, even if it doesn't, you know, might piss off their original fan base. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, try different things. That's great. Yeah. Well, and I, and I like, uh, I need to find, uh, some more, uh, Anne McCaffrey because I've spent all this time reading the dragon Riders of Pern and I know that she's got other stuff that's out there and I just haven't really taken the time to go through any of the other stuff that she's done. And, and it's, it's interesting. We get into, uh, specific niches. You know, I, I want to read the honor Harrington books, but I'm not going to read the vampire book. You, you start to have these expectations of what authors do based on the one series that you read, but they've yeah. got all of this other stuff out there that you can sample. And it's, and it's interesting how, how much of a challenge it is to go read something that's not part of this set of stories yeah if you're looking for if you're if we're talking about you know different i mean this author i i just i did a review on him you know, in the last month or so john dalmas uh he you know he died about 10 years ago or so i believe but his his stories are all about uh they're they're quite different um uh they're about a um you know a, a society that is you know human based but um originally it uh, took off you know in spaceships for uh, you know flew for years and got reset up they were fleeing a civil war from you know the the um the main society and then there's been about a 15,000 year difference where they've evolved uh, slightly differently and he's got a you know it's kind of a military it's not a hard i would not call it hard military uh fiction science fiction like david drake or something like that but it's uh, got a military tinge to it but it's not as hard um and it's a very interesting concept his concept is that uh, you know part of these people on one of the the planets in the new area have developed this political philosophy kind of like a religion where they know where they fit in society and it's kind of like almost a perfect society because everybody realizes where they fit in and they all fit into certain areas and so very few people are unhappy and they just live their life and uh it's very uh, you know it, there's much more to it than that of course but um it's very interesting that's kind of one other of the weird or unusual science fiction areas that uh, I would recommend to people. I think, I think also modern audiences, especially the younger crowd, you talk about trying to get younger readers interested in some of the older stuff. I think there would be a, a, a huge benefit to the quality of a lot of stories that we're seeing now because, uh, you know, the roots of science fiction in the pulps and in the, in the, in the magazines really does add uh, another level to some of these stories, especially when you get into the action adventure, you know, pew pew shoot 'em up type of things. But, um, but I think also the, the ideas in them and how they're presented uh, and Robert in the chat, you're talking about foundation uh, being a, a, 
an inspiration for you. There is an adaptation of Foundation in the works over at Apple TV. Uh, so just, I don't know if you had been aware of that or not, but I wanted to, to share that with you. I, they yeah. have shut down currently, uh, because of the, of the pandemic, but Apple TV is doing an adaptation of foundation, which we've talked about on this channel before the, the question of that kind of thing, whether or not they can do it justice, because there are a lot of times they get an adaptation. You get something on TV, uh, Tim and I were talking about the stand the other day. And the current the current adaptation apparently leaves a lot to be desired. So you you can you can do the adaptation doesn't mean you can necessarily do it well. So what are your thoughts then about the the foundation uh, adaptation? I've only seen like a little bit of a trailer or something about it. Yeah, I it I think. Uh, well, it's it's too soon to tell, but you know, what what we've basically uh, come to the conclusion is that it's really really big, and it's going to be a challenge, especially to do it, uh, especially to do it on television. But it it would probably work better as a TV series, a TV project, as opposed to a movie because you can do longer, you can do the ten hours or twelve hours or however many episodes you need to do that, but. You also have to take into account that foundation is only one piece of this whole big, broader scope of everything. And if you don't get that one right, you can't do any of the rest of it. So, yeah, the uh, like Asimov, you know, famously said that he had no idea why anyone would want to write a movie or, or anything about the book because it's basically the way he writes it. It's all people sitting around talking on the around <laughs> a table about things that happened. Yeah, but I mean, you can very easily you could change that by just you know showing that those aspects of the uh, um, you know the, what they're talking about. You you do it the opposite way, right? Yeah. But well, and, um, and I've seen I've seen a number of uh, of comic book critiques uh, recently. Just you know, various different YouTube videos talking about various different issues of comic books, and there and and the biggest gripe that I've seen outside of messaging, you know, the the whole intersectional political stuff is these people are sitting around not doing anything but talking for six pages you know those those kind of things i think if you have if you have television if you have a movie and a good chunk of it is people sitting and talking then you don't really have much uh, and it does present a challenge because what do you do with that there's only so much you can do with with camera moves and camera angles if nobody's moving, uh, I know William Shatner had said once when he was talking about uh, directing Star Trek five uh, in the commentary track, I think is where this is. He's talking about the fact that it, when you're in an enclosed space, like the bridge set, you know, nobody's going anywhere. Nobody's moving. Nobody's doing anything. So his, his choice is to move the camera and to actually still have movement in the visuals even though nobody's going anywhere, you move the camera and that adds a little bit of dynamic energy to it. But you can only go so far with that before it before it doesn't, you know, before it's not effective anymore. Well, you know, TV, movies and comic books are primarily a visual medium and you should, yeah. you know, show, don't tell. Right. For those mediums, um, that's what you should be doing. I, I would agree with that. But uh, I, you know, going back to the foundation, um, I'd be 
I'm interested to see how they do it because, you know, foundation that the first books focus on, um, on, you know, Terminus, the planet, and it doesn't really, you know, expands from there. It doesn't talk about what's going on in the old world mm -hmm. uh, while this is going on. And Heinlein wrote them, or sorry, uh, Asimov wrote them as a, like, like short stories and he, he patched them all together, right? Like his, so his first, his chapters are very short and they all have their own little story. So you could have a one or two episode arc on TV that would encompass each chapter or each different story. And then, you know, it jumps 50 years and then something happens there. Um, so I'd be curious as to see if they're going to do that or are they going to do a whole, I mean, they probably don't want to hire actors and then fire them after th three episodes. So I assume it's going to be, you know, some sort of, they're going to pick one, one area of time and they just focus on that. Would that make you know? Does that make sense to you? Or uh, maybe? Uh, what are you know, yeah, it's like We're kind well, of speculating, but it's like you said. It depends on on what their approach is. Because if they're if they're looking at individual arcs, if they're looking at pieces of the overall thing, then you could structure it that way, like you're talking about one or two episodes here, a couple episodes here, and then you have this overall umbrella story arc that kind of ties it all together thematically but there's no guarantee really that any adaptation is going to be faithful as much as it needs to be as well i mean you you still we're hearing like with the lord of the rings series the prequel series down in amazon is shooting down in new zealand what is that going to look like even though it's a prequel and it's based on material that really hasn't really been published as stories so much yeah you run a risk when you put the wrong if the wrong people are in charge and they decide they want to do some things that are you know edgy and daring and bold and and those kind of creative and subvert do. expectations yeah what does that do to the overall source material how yeah. my my concern anytime you're talking about an adaptation is how faithful will it be to the source material that's your starting point and if the people that are making the adaptation are at the core. This is the story, and here's where here's where we're going with it. We're going to adapt the the, the book or the or the short story or the or the whatever. Then, if that's intact, if they maintain the integrity of the source material, then I think you can add or take away, you know, on the fringes. But some of these adaptations are just out yeah. there. You know, they 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 look at them as opportunities to tell a different kind of story rather than what's actually in the book. Yeah, um, like for foundation one, I would like to see something that would stick to the source material. But I would be okay with, you know, in the various times where they're talking, you know, the various time periods that are are mentioned in each chapter. You know, fifty years later, that kind of stuff. Twenty five years later, um, if they showed what was going on back you know, at the center, at the core of the galaxy in the center. I mean, that would, you know, with a good writer, you could do a, a great job of that. Uh, I wouldn't be against that, but uh, yeah, it has to stick to the source material. Uh, you were mentioning, uh, you know, poor adaptations of books. I think the one that always sticking with science fiction and another, and one of my, you know, key authors, uh, the Starship Troopers always comes to mind whenever when anyone talks about, uh, you know, poor adaptations. But um, I mean, very hard to write that book, you know, 
because there's a lot of political philosophy like Highland you know, likes to throw in there. Yeah. But uh, you know, the 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 movie is just you know not quite. It's got some elements of it, but it's not quite the same. It's it's almost like the movie is a parody of the book, and it's skew, yeah, it's skewering the same kind of things that Heinlein was sort of poking at, but it does it in a way that pokes at the book too. Yeah, I I read somewhere that uh, uh, Verhoeven wanted to he wanted to write a uh, do a movie about Nazis. And uh, he wanted to, you know, show how bad Nazis are, but no one would make that movie. So then they, uh, you know, he kind of somehow came into this movie and he goes, hey, you know what? I'll just, there's kind of, they're kind of like fascist Nazis. I'll just insert my own thing and then do it with this thing and I'll come up with this. So, yeah. uh, Robert uh, mentions here what happened to sci fi books seems in a way to have preceded sci fi movies with franchises turning into series. And that goes back to your point when you walk in, you walk into the bookstore and it's all franchise stuff, you know, X-Files, yeah. Star Wars, Star Trek and that sort of thing. And we were actually talking about this last night a little bit. The fact that sequels are a thing now and, and big, broad universe. You've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's now uh, going over into television as well. You've got the DC Universe. Um Star Trek, whatever it's going to end up looking like on the big screen, if it's going to be connected to the stuff on the TV or not, you've got the Arrowverse that's all connected. And it seems to have started back, you know, because you've got the Star the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy, and then Star Trek, and then just Star Trek Two, and it, and then Back to the Future was never supposed to be a, a series of films; it was just one. But they said, "Well, it made a ton of a, a ton of money, so let's make another one." So it's it's almost like the industry has glommed onto this idea of sequels and series, and nobody wants nobody much wants to take a risk on anything original anymore. Yeah, um, I mean, I agree in movies and and. I mean, and I think that's come in books in a, in a way too. But I mean, in books, science fiction, I mean, very much, you know, all types of fiction, there's always been that kind of sequel stuff, right? Uh -huh. Because, you know, you get book one and then they go, hey, I like this universe. Let's expand it. Let's do more. And, you know, authors have always done that, whether in science fiction or fantasy or wherever. So I, I'm not like against it per se, because... You know, I want more of, you know, I wish that half the authors that I love are dead and I wish that they would, uh, you know, they could write another book. But of course, you know, they can't. Yeah. But uh, I'd love to have more of whatever, you know, universe that they they've created. But um, yeah, it's I'm not against that per se, but you are, you know, I completely agree that there seems to be a, uh, you know, it's one thing for an author to write a book and it's successful. And then he goes, I'm going to write more books about this story. And, and, you know, the, the publishing company will publish it because, you know, your name is Isaac Asimov and we'll publish anything you write because it'll sell. And it's another thing for, you know, the publishers to come out and say, no, we're not going to look at it publishing anything. We only want to publish things by Isaac Asimov or Robert or Heinlein or whoever, because nothing else will sell. It's a, you know, it's a subtle difference, but well, and, and the other the other thing, you know, along those lines is, you know, you've got uh, authors that have established 
pedigrees, I guess you could say. And then you have the ones that are brand new to the scene and suddenly they're snapping up every single award around. Um, you know, Hugo and the Nebula and the Saturn and the, and the whatever. And it strikes me that the some of these accolades some of these some of these people don't have very long careers to be getting a lot of this stuff but then then you look at somebody like you know a Robert Jordan or or you know some of some of the ones well uh, Kevin Kevin J Anderson for one you know, he has done a number of things and hasn't won that many awards. And I don't know if it's just, you know, he's not up for them. Nobody, nobody nominates or he doesn't accept or he's, he's in the, you know, different organizations from this. I don't know, but uh, it, it would seem that some of these, uh, some of these newer authors should maybe be around a little bit longer before they start getting, lionized maybe yeah well i mean i i did a video a couple weeks ago about that about the latest winner of the master of science fiction award yeah um you know the um it was and it was funny because ben bova had just died a few days before that and you know uh, watch you go check out the video it lists all his um accomplishments and he's been working for how long and the and this present winner the 2021 winner you know her her uh biography she's written six books yeah um you know and you know three works of short you know three you know works of short fiction and stuff and you know ben boba has 125 different books and he's yeah. been 55 years he's been writing and, and he's fine. never received this award you want to give a Hugo award to somebody because they wrote a really good book. Okay, fine. But yeah. you know, something like that, you know, Damon Knight grandmaster that brings, yes. that's kind of a lifetime achievement type of thing. And it's generally, I would think that it's best as a measurement of a body of work. And if you don't have very much of a body of work. And your lifetime is over. How much does that award mean really? Yeah. It's, you know, it's uh, getting political here. It's like Barack Obama writing, you know, two autobiographies before he is even president. I mean, you know, <laughs> wait till the end, near the end of your life to write another autobiography, to write an autobiography, right? Like, and, and Robert makes a, makes a point. Awards are pure racism now. They win awards for gender studies rhetoric. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think in some particular instances, I think identity politics and ideology factors into it. Um, I'm not willing to sit there and say that that's the pure 100% factor in this because their you know, tastes differ. One person could look at something and think that it's absolutely great. Some, some people look at it and think that it's garbage. I mean, we're seeing that with Star Wars. We're seeing it with Doctor Who. We're seeing it with all of the different franchises. Uh, but, you know, you look at something like I mean, outside of genre, you look at something like Moby Dick. There are people who think that Moby Dick is a masterpiece and it is, you know, high art. And OK, I thought it was boring. I, uh, but, you know, is, is it a groundbreaking book? Does it have impact in the in the publishing world and in, in the industry? Sure. 
that doesn't make it good, but good is subjective. And if somebody is going to sit there and go, wait, we really like this book or we want to give it an award. Okay. If you like the book, that's one thing. If you like the book purely on the identity of the author or the identity of the protagonist, then we're, then we have a, a an issue, but it's really hard to tell when that's, when that's in play sometimes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I would kind of agree with what you're saying, but the other side of the coin is that, you know, uh, sales figures are, I mean, you know, it's not an idea of quality, but it, you know, it shows how more people, if more people like something than uh, some other thing, it, it is an indicator. And, you know, while I agree that, you know, we can't definitively prove that, you know, whatever winner of the Hugo or Nebula Award was picked purely on race and not on ability. I mean, there's been very suspicious things been going on the past couple of years. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's the whole sad puppies issue where, uh, I mean, you know, when people get so mad that they form their own groups and, you know, strike back, I mean, that's, that's an indication that there's something, you know, even if you don't agree, there's something wrong if that many people are pissed off about something. I remember so. sitting and watching the award ceremony for 2015 when the whole thing imploded. That was the that was the year that no award won so many categories just simply because if you got nominated by the Sad Puppies group, then you were automatically out. And I saw some absolutely despicable behavior from people who should know better. Um, and after that, it, uh, it seemed like the Hugos, you know, even, even you look at the number of people participating in the process. Yes. That's it a key just one. keeps going down and dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. I think there was something like 1300 that were voting this year. It was, it, it's a, it's a crazy yeah. low number. Yeah. And it's, you know, 1300 people are deciding this great. And, and I, I understand it used to be, you know, five years ago it was around five thousand or something like that. Yeah, the year and it's the just year been dropping. Puppies, yeah, Sad Puppies Two was something like fifty five hundred or so. I'm 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 rounding, but yeah, it was it was the highest participation that they've had in I don't know how long. But now you look at something like the Dragon Awards, where you have eleven thousand people participating. I mean, okay, at what point do the Hugos not not become relevant? Are are, are they no longer relevant? Well, they're they're and that's what they're doing, right? They're they're going to make themselves irrelevant. Yeah. And you know, awards come and go, and it's only award is only as much value as people give it, right? And yeah. if people think that the award is not, you know, uh, they're they're just they're going to destroy the value of the award, which is you know a shame. But well, you know. and Steve, Steve makes a good point in the chat: arts perspective or business perspective, which does the award represent? And I think that's a very good point because the Hugo or any other award doesn't necessarily follow sales figures like you're talking about in, in terms of, well, how good of a book is it? You know, just because it sells a lot, does it, does it mean that objectively it's good or does it win a bunch of awards because it's objectively good, even though it doesn't sell very many copies? I mean, you, you look at what's going on right now with Wonder Woman 1984 and the Rotten Tomatoes score down in the in the in the 50 percentile range but the audience score is up you know high 60s or low 70s people seem to like it more than the critics do so uh, is it good critics don't like it fans are okay what determines good well you know maybe i'm wrong but my sense of 
talking about the Hugo and Nebula Awards, I mean, you look back at some of the original winners of those awards, mm -hmm. and they are books that are, you know, are liked by the fans and the critics. And there, you know, used to be a melding of that whereby, you know, the critics would like it and it would also do very well. Yeah. Where nowadays in certain areas, such as, you know, certain movies, you seem to have this complete disconnect between what the critics like and what the fans like. And sometimes, you know, it's the opposite. You know, the, sometimes the critics hate it and the fans love it. And sometimes the fans hate it and the critics love it with, you know, certain movies. So they're, uh, you know, it's a little bit strange. So, I mean, I place more value on, like, you know, some of the winners of the Hugo and Nebula Awards back in the, you know, the 70s and stuff. I mean, those are good books and I think they're classic books and some of them I talk about and I would recommend them to science fiction fans still, you know, 40 plus years later. But I don't know that some of the books that, you know, some of the things that are winning awards now are going to be like that as well. Yeah. Are you challenging yourself at all to, to try to read? Cause you mentioned earlier thinking that you probably wanted to read more of the modern stuff. Do you have a list of things that you want to sample or you, or do you have a goal of trying to do more of that this year? Yeah. I, you know what I need, I'm, I'm pretty picky about what I read. So I need somebody like me, to do the, what I'm doing for the 70s and 80s, to do for the 2000s. That's what I need. Um, I've I've uh, pushed into a couple of um, uh, books, um, and I just uh, you know some of them have been okay. Um, there's a, there's this uh, I'm I've read so much that I'm very rarely hit with a um, like a, a science fiction concept that's unusual. Right. different that I haven't sort of, you know, it's a variation of something. And there's one book that I read and I, and I've been <laughs> trying to find it. I got it from my local library. I've been trying to find it again and find the author it was like a first time um, author. And he, it was his first book. He was like a physicist or something. And he wrote this book and I have to try to, I've been searching for it. I haven't been able to find it. And that was quite good. Um, there's two other series that I read, um, which were unusual. And I mean, uh, we still have a little time. I don't know if you want to, I'd be interested to your take on this, this thought and I'll, I'll, sure. I'll put out the, I'll put out the, the, the rumor, what I've heard, and then I'll, I'll give an example of it. Um, so I've, I've heard that in order to get published nowadays in science fiction from like the big publishing, you have to have, there has to be some sort of, um, you know, a comment on, you know, the, you know, social justice type stuff. So you have to have some a gay character, or there's got to be some racism that you you know you talk about and and go uh, you know address in order to get published nowadays. So I'm not sure if that's true. Um, I heard that, um, but I will. I'll give you an example. I read this series of I forget the author. I'm sure I can look it up. It's a there. It's a quantum series. It's, all the books are quantum time, quantum something. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and uh, I think they're fairly, uh, you know, fairly well known. Um, and I'm reading the first story, and the story is about, um, you know, they they find a way to uh, this company finds a way to to put to solve the pollution problem by firing the pollution into you know this quantum space, which is like a fifth dimension or something like that. And um, uh, but while they're doing this, they're fooling around with it. A bunch of uh, astronauts disappear. They get caught into this bubble. And uh, 
you know, a government scientist and uh, a woman he works with, you know, go to this company to try to find out, you know, what they were doing and, and how it might have affected the, the story. And there's a woman there. And uh, so, you know, the, the corporate guys are kind of the bad guys. They're doing this. They don't want to know, want people to, the government to know what they've, you know, they've been doing and they've, you know, they've kind of affected this. They're trying to hide that a little bit. And there's a woman who's working for them, also a scientist. And she, you know, uh, has a thing with the head scientist who's male and she's female. And, uh, you know, the story goes on like that fairly, you know, fairly uh, predictable. But uh, what struck me about it was that the the female scientist who works for the company is is black. Now, you wouldn't know by the writing or anything. You only know by when she like she actually mentions it like and it's not it's not relevant to the story like races of people are not relevant yeah but at two points in the story there's one point where you know the the woman is she's feeding the government guy information to help solve the problem and say hey you know this is going on and they've been doing this and that but uh she meets them at a bar and the the local security guy has been told by the you know the ceo go in there and blah, 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 you know? So he goes to, inter you know, he wants to take her back and, you know, you're breaking your NDA and all this stuff, right? And, um, like, all of a sudden, out of there, she, you know, you read the character's thoughts and she says, oh, it's, you know, I don't want to go against this guy because they'll shoot me because I'm black. And I'm just like, this is totally out of, completely out of what's been going on in the story. Like these are all highly intelligent people. They're all, right. you know, they're all, you know, scientists and stuff. And this is all coming out. Like all of a sudden this sort of inserted in there and it just yeah. seems very unusual, think, you know? Yeah. I think there is a certain amount of that in, in traditional publishing. I think maybe not so much on the indie side of things, because as we're seeing with the same kind of thing with indie comics, uh, there's a good, mix a good variety of different perspectives and ideologies and, and modes of thought. Uh, but I do think that there has been a trend, at least as far as the discussions that I've seen about traditional publishing. A lot of people are making comment to the effect that something like that is n not necessarily have to be in there, but it, generally follows that something like that is going to be in there because that's the way things are nowadays. And it's, it's a kind of a sad commentary on where publishing is, but I think it also opens up doors to indie publishing uh, to do stories that don't necessarily have to deal with intersectional identity politics so much as we're just going to tell a story. You've got, um, you know, the pulp, dime store adventure uh adventure type of stories that can flourish in in the independent market as well so it yeah in this, in this book i found it very jarring right like it was oh, sure. like it's it's a very typical like something you might see on a tv you know very typical you know uh corporate conspiracy covering up like you could see the kind of storyline on TV anywhere today, very, very standard, you know, um, with the science fiction bent. And then all of a sudden the character's like, oh, brings this sort of, oh, I better be careful. They might shoot me because I'm black. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what? And that it happened twice. And I was just like, that's really strange, you know, like didn't seem to fit. But 
Uh, RJ in the chat, uh, it is not a bad time to mention the the uh, Critical Blast Best of 2020 Awards are taking votes. Uh, I think it's, what is it, criticalblast.com? And that's uh, is, that's is, for comic books, right? I, I or think is it? I think that's best of for everything: comic books, books, movies, TV. I gotta I gotta go and look. Uh, but yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, he's I follow him. I'll have to. So I'll have to vote. All right. So what's next for you, sir? What do you What have you What do you got uh, brewing? What are you working on now for videos, reviews, and and that sort of thing? Uh, well, back to the grindstone, I guess. I have to uh, start putting out videos a little more. Frequently, I have a, uh, there's been some discussion about uh, the proper ranking of, uh, I'm a little bit behind on this, but proper ranking of Star Wars um, movies. So, you know, with the benefit of, uh, you know, a few million years of literary uh, discussion about it, I'm going to put my, um, my official correct version of what it is. And that will pretty much, you know, set that uh, everyone will uh, finally know the proper ranking of all the movies uh, and not i don't know that there'll be mo too many surprises there but uh, uh most people know the score there but um yeah that's about uh i'm you know i'm looking at um maybe expanding into uh board games and video games i i want to bring people you know and and worthy entertainment that they can you know latch on to you know of a science fiction bent, but not necessarily have to be that way. Something that if it's good and it, uh, you know, I fancy it, then I might uh, do something about it. But that kind of thing, you know, how are you in this pandemic, how are you going to uh, entertain yourself? Yeah. Yeah. That is the question, especially given that we're not able to go very many events as of yet. Hopefully uh, things start to open up a little bit more. We'll have to have to keep an eye on that. So, well, so what about things, sir? What about you, Jason? What's your? You have any more? We're, we're just uh, we're sticking with the grind. I mean, we've got uh, right now we've got seven shows in production uh, on a regular basis. We've got a couple of more that are sitting on the back burner, waiting for manpower, uh, and then we want to expand more into our coverage of uh, indie comics and uh, do more book reviews over on the dot com. So we've got we've got a few right. things. And then we're going to launch the Indiegogo campaign in March for our first printed edition we're talking about doing now. So, right, right. So we'll see. We'll uh, we'll see how all of that goes. I'm, I'm looking forward to more um, Tom Sizemore type uh, interviews. Yeah, that, so, we kind of uh, we kind of just fell into that. That one. That one. Uh, I do have one. I'm waiting to hear back. Um, we had uh, an inquiry to see if we were interested in interviewing Patrick Warburton. Mm -hmm. uh, waiting to hear back on that. Um, um, Javicia Leslie has been floated. You know the new Batwoman, and we're like, well, yeah, we're interested. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see how all of that comes comes together. And then, of course, we've got episode two hundred of this show in a week from tomorrow. So uh, we're we're trucking right along on, on this stuff. So might have something special planned. Maybe. All right. Well, I'll have to watch for that. All right. Uh, then that's going to do it for us. Sci-Fi snob. Thanks very much for being here today. And it's good Thank to you. see you in the chat when you're in there. Uh, you always have some good, good thoughts to share. And I like uh, to keep you on your toes. 
and and you do that. And his his channel, we have got a link in our show description as well as in the chat. You can go check that out. And uh, he is also, let me pull this up just so people can see. He's also over on Twitter. And I assume that you're expanding into the various other different uh, social media channels just to cover your bases. Well, I kind of want to wait to see which, uh, you know, which one wins out. I don't, you know, Twitter for me is simply, I've said this before, it's simply for trolling or promoting something like it's, it's pretty much a dumpster fire, but uh, um, you know, yeah. I, that's, how, that's how I use it. So if you're looking for any deep insights on my Twitter feed, you're not going to find them there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll wait to see how it ends out and go wherever the you know the best place is. I don't doesn't seem like it's it hasn't quite settled yet. So I'll, mm. I'll move when uh, it has. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, uh, that will do it for us today. Those of you who are uh, here just uh, to see snob. Hope you stick around. Uh, feel free to subscribe and have your notifications turn on. Go check out his channel. And we will be back with more. Let's see. Do I have anything planned for tomorrow? Tomorrow's wide open. So I get to rant for, a, for an hour. So uh, we will be back with more live from the bunker tomorrow. Same bet time. Same bet channel. Don't forget, you can leave us a comment. So just email live from the bunker at sci-fi.com. Sign up for the newsletter. And we will be back with more tomorrow. Thanks for being here, everyone. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.